Well, God bless you, and welcome to uh, NETS, uh, Course 2, Disciples of the Lord Jesus. And uh, this is Session 8, and we're going to be dealing with the Doctrine of Baptisms. There are at least 12 different baptisms named in the New Testament, but some are descriptions of the same baptism, which then means they're named more than once under different names. So these 12 condense into five different categories of baptisms. The first one being John's baptism. It's a baptism unto repentance, whereas Jesus's looked similar because it's in water. However, his was a baptism unto forgiveness. There's Jesus's baptism of suffering. And then there's the baptisms that Jesus mentioned, which are under three different categories. The baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit which corresponds to the baptism of fire, water, and spirit, which corresponds to the baptism of the soul, the body, and the spirit. We're going to be looking at each of these. Now in Ephesians 4.4, it says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. However, as we were beginning to look at, uh, even though there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, each of these is broken down into various categories. Matthew 22, 43 and 44 talks about the Lord saying unto my Lord, quoting back to what David said, his Lord was saying to the Lord, the Lord God. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, the Apostle Paul says that, God, He has put all things under His feet, under Jesus' feet. But when He says all things under Him, it's evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. In other words, the Father is greater than the Son, and He put all things under His feet. So He's describing the word all means everything with the exception of the one who put everything under His feet. Obviously, He had to be greater in order to do that. So we're seeing that there are different aspects, but yet one Lord. Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So here we have from faith to faith. But we've already looked at earlier in the course that we know there are at least three faiths. There's faithfulness, your faith, and then there's supernatural faith. Faithfulness corresponds to the body. Your faith, my faith, corresponds to our soul. Even a natural man has his faith. He was saved by his faith. When Jesus said to someone, your faith has made you whole, or you have been healed by your faith, that person was not born again. That person may not have had supernatural faith, but when they brought their faith to Jesus' supernatural faith, a miracle could happen. But then there's the supernatural faith, which Jesus said, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and there it would go. So that's supernatural faith. So therefore, even though the Bible says... In Ephesians 4, 4, there's one faith. We know there's three categories of that one faith. We know there's one Lord, but we know there's three different aspects of that one Lordship. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's interesting because the word God there is Elohim, which is the plural sense of the word Eloah. Literally, if you were to speak that literally, it would be the Lord our God's is one Lord. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go therefore make disciples of the, the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We know 
that the number one represents unity in Scripture, and the number three always represents completeness. We've mentioned it many times in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, that the man of God may be complete, may be completely, completely completed unto every good work. So three times completed. That there could be a total unity of completeness, and it's emphasized three times. One for unity, three for completeness. Giving thanks always, it says in Ephesians 5.20, for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're looking at his complete name. <laughs> Acts 2.36 says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, if you look at those names, Jesus, Lord and Christ, Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua in the Old Testament, Joshua means Jehovah saves. The Lord is the word Kyrios in the New Testament, which corresponds to the word Jehovah in the Old Testament. Mashiach is Christ, which is the Messiah. So when we have his whole name, Lord Jesus Christ, you're really saying Joshua, Jehovah, the Messiah. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Made him both Jehovah and Messiah. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess Jesus... As Jehovah. Jehovah means God in relation to his creation. We make Jesus, Jehovah saves, we make him our Jehovah. We make Jesus our Jehovah. He is God in relation to the creation. All things are under his feet. When we confess Jesus as Lord, we have set him in that place that Jehovah stood in to Israel in the Old Testament. Genesis 28, 20 and 21 is very interesting here. When, when Jacob slept at Bethel and saw the ladder, saw the angels coming and going, and says, and then he vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again into my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Then shall the Lord, Jehovah, will be my Elohim. I never used to understand that because I thought, well, what do you mean if the Lord will go with me? <laughs> but I've learned a little bit more about how the understanding in terms of territorial spirits, in terms of territories on the earth. Jacob wasn't at all convinced that once he left the promised land, because he knew the land he was standing on was promised to Abraham by Jehovah. And that Abraham had come there and worshipped Jehovah. But now he was standing at Bethel, and he was about to leave that land that was under Jehovah's blessings. 
So he wasn't at all convinced at that time that Jehovah was going to go with him because he was leaving his place. But what he said, hey, if you will go with me, when I come back, then I'll make Jehovah my Elohim. I'll make the Lord into my God. He'll be my God. <laughs> we sort of take it for granted these days that God's everywhere and that we can worship Him wherever we want to. That's not wasn't necessarily the case then. Matter of fact, when he was coming back, his wife stole the household gods because she was afraid that she wouldn't be as well off without those household gods. In reality, it cost her her life. The whole concept of different spirits ruling over different areas and different places was much more understood to them. But he made that prayer nevertheless, and God did go with him and did bless him, and he did make Jehovah his Elohim. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The NIV says the fullness of the deity is in bodily form, in Jesus. In Matthew 3.11, it speaks about, John indeed baptized with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now we're seeing that the whole deity is wrapped up in Jesus. When he was given the name Lord Jesus Christ, it brings the whole deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost into his body. The fullness is manifested through the body of Christ. All authority has been delegated to him. Now, when we come to John here, he prepared the way for Jesus with his baptism, causing the people to repent. But Jesus was able to forgive, as he said, the Son of Man has power to forgive. And he said, the one who's coming after me, Jesus, is mightier than I, and he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, those are two different baptisms. We know about the baptism of forgiveness, which is in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is in water. Then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which came available on the day of Pentecost, and the baptism of fire, which we're going to look into here. But to be fully immersed into all that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is to be fully immersed into all that they are fully saturated with their being. Now the baptism by water is for the church. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, beginning there, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So they had to baptize about 3,000 people. But this was being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the remission and the forgiveness of sins, different than the repentance. Repentance was assumed. But it's not the same as the baptism unto repentance. This is the baptism unto remission and forgiveness. The baptism of repentance is the putting off of the filth of the flesh. The baptism into forgiveness is the baptism into newness of life, a type of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in your life. 
Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right. Walking in newness of life is repentance. But his point is, is that when we were baptized as a figure, when we went under the water, it was like Jesus going into the ground. And when we came up, it was like Jesus being raised from the dead. Now, when he was raised from the dead, he had a new body. When we got up out of the water, we realized it was a symbol because we still had our old bodies. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's an outward sign that Jesus set up that Christians should submit to, that they are identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now we're raised unto newness of life, no longer to walk in sin, but to walk in grace. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Now, obviously, when something is absolutely not forgiven, it has to be in the category of the Spirit, doesn't it? So someone who would blaspheme the Holy Spirit would have to be someone who had not received the Lord Jesus, because once we receive the Lord Jesus, we have incorruptible seed. But there is a place before you're saved that if you were to get to that place where you absolutely would never receive the Holy Spirit, then you would be damned. There would be nothing that could be done. And generally speaking, those that, uh, when you look into Scripture and talk about sons of Belial, and you look at those that actually have made the devil their father. It's not generally someone that's into witchcraft that says, well, I'm a son of Lucifer or something like that. Generally speaking, the person who would be a son of Belial is convinced that they're right. It's not convinced that they're a child of the devil. They're convinced that they're correct, but yet they deny Jesus. I've come across a number of people who were Christians that wondered if they had committed the unforgivable sin. The fact that they're wondering it proves that they're not guilty of the unforgivable sin because the person who is guilty of the unforgivable sin is convinced that they're fine. However, those of us that have spoken against the Lord Jesus at times or denied the Lord Jesus at times, He will deny us before the Father, but we can be forgiven of that because that's in the category of our walk now. When we pray prayers, but we have denied the Lord Jesus, then when it comes time and the Father says, okay, should we send out the angels? No, he's been denying me. But if I repent, then what happens? Then he'll confess me before the Father, you see. But if I choose, which is too late now, I've already chosen to receive the Holy Spirit. But let's say I choose never to receive the Holy Spirit, then I will be denied permanently. There's nothing I can do for forgiveness. Because by receiving the Holy Spirit, I have received eternal life. Without that Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I have no eternal life or any hope of it. Okay, in Acts 16, beginning in verse 30, it says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him 
and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into the house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, this is the jailer who had locked uh, Paul and Silas up. But you know, at midnight, they praised the Lord and the earthquake came and they were released and he brought them home and said, what shall I do to be saved? He said, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a figure of speech here in Orientalism that says that same hour. That same hour means immediately to them, okay? They didn't have clocks with minutes and so on. We would say instantly. But when they say, he spoke to the demon and, and it came out that same hour. What it means is it came out right then. So right here, when it says they received it that same hour, it means right then he took them out. Because see, the next line says, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. So he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we want to look and see exactly what are the details of the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in Acts chapter 8, beginning in 14, we're in the, the record of Philip going to Samaria. Remember, he had to call for the apostles to come up there. And in verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. So you see there's two different baptisms talked about here. Now they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been water baptized. But this is the first time since the day of Pentecost when people were baptized in water but didn't speak in tongues immediately and manifest the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the apostles went up, laid hands on them, and then they manifested the baptism of the Holy Spirit also. Now, when Philip, later in the chapter, was taken down to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, that was reading the book of Isaiah. And he was riding along with him in his chariot and he explained to him the way of salvation. The eunuch believed. Now here in verse 36, it says, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, you have to understand, here's the Ethiopian eunuch. He's just been to Jerusalem. He's been learning from the scribes and the Pharisees, but he hasn't been explained about the Messiah or who the Messiah was. So he's on his way back now. He's reading in the scroll, the book of Isaiah, when Philip comes along and explains to him who the Messiah is. He believes. Now, he has heard about Christians. And the one thing we do know that he knows about Christians is once you become a Christian, you get baptized in water. <laughs> so it was the eunuch that brought this up, not Philip. There's no indication that he was anywhere near a Christian or any Christian teachings while he was in Jerusalem, but he had heard about Christians. When he became a Christian, the first thing he asked is, hey, here's water, can I be baptized? 
And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. So he baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus because he believed and confessed Jesus as his Lord. See, the eunuch knew, he understood that a person confessing Jesus as Lord would be baptized in water, even though Philip didn't bring it up to him. Now, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter went down to the house of Cornelius, and as you recall, he was preaching, and in the middle of his preaching, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and they manifested the baptism of Holy Spirit. And after Peter saw that, in verse 47, it says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. They'd already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but he says, we got to baptize them in the name of the Lord. He commanded that it be done. Now, he never would have done that if he hadn't seen something supernatural to prove that they had believed. Because in his mind, they weren't convinced that Gentiles could believe. And as you know the story, when he went back to Jerusalem, he had to explain why he did what he did. And he had to prove to the elders and the apostles back there that these really had believed and the Lord really was behind it. And then they praised God. Well, he had to defend himself. In, and we'll look at that in Acts chapter 11, verse 15, beginning in verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. In other words, he's saying the Spirit just fell on them. They didn't have to lay hands on them. They didn't even instruct them. Verse 16, Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. You see, just the baptism in water wouldn't have convinced them. But Peter would have never commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus had he not seen the proof first. So first, as it came on them on the day of Pentecost, it also came on the Gentiles here at the house of Cornelius. Now let's look at who baptizes in each of these baptisms. John chapter 1, verse 33. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is the only one that can baptize someone in Holy Spirit. Now we might lay hands on someone, they may speak in tongues. They may perhaps be baptized in the Holy Spirit at that second, but it's Jesus that does it. They may manifest that baptism by speaking in tongues because we laid hands on them or because we prayed for them or because we led them to the place to receive it from God. But Jesus does that baptism. He performs that baptism. In Acts 19, beginning in verse 1, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He was concerned because none of them were manifesting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, 
into John's baptism. Now, we know John's baptism was water baptism, but it wasn't just water baptism. It was water baptism unto repentance. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. There's a greater one coming, he said. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So in other words, when Apollos came through, he only understood the baptism of John, and yet he was still a disciple. And later, it was Aquila and Priscilla that took him aside, and they instructed him more fully. But he moved on. But Paul came into Ephesus, found these people. They were already disciples, but they had not been fully instructed. They weren't even instructed that there was a Holy Spirit, much less manifested Holy Spirit. So he says to them, what were you baptized into? They said, the baptism of repentance. He said, that's not good enough. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. And he asked, into what baptism then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, continually telling the people that they should believe on the one who was to come after him. That is, in Jesus, having a conviction full of joyful trust that he is Christ, the Messiah, and being obedient to him. On hearing this, they were baptized, again this time in the name of Jesus. And as Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. So you see, Paul came, he found them. They'd been baptized into John's baptism. That wasn't good enough for Paul. He said, no, no, there's some greater things here. You've got to receive forgiveness, remission of sins. You need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will come. So they were baptized again in water in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he laid hands on them, and they manifested the Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was giving some of his last instructions to the apostles and to his disciples. In verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with Holy Spirit, not made days from now. So he was telling them, the baptism that I'm going to give is coming. Now, Jesus didn't baptize in water, but his disciples baptized more than John baptized. But he said, there's a greater baptism coming, and I'm going to do the baptism beginning on the day of Pentecost. In Mark chapter 16, beginning in 15, is the Great Commission, as it's recorded in Mark. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. We have to believe. If we believe, we'll be baptized. Definitely the baptisms that are done by the, the Father and the Son will be accomplished. 
if we go back after having received the Lord and then sinned and go back to the blood of goats and of sheep, expecting to be cleansed by that, we're never going to receive forgiveness. We're going to be in big trouble when it comes to the judgment because everything we will accomplish will have been done in the flesh and we'll suffer great loss. However, the blood of the covenant, that is the only place safe from the baptism of fire. The protection that comes in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. After we sin, if we'll bring that sin back and say, Lord, forgive me, bring it under the blood. It's that covenant that Jesus made with you. He will never break it. We often do wander from it. But if we'll come back, not try to get forgiveness through the blood of animals, but bring our sins back and wash them under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're back in a position where we now are laying up treasures in heaven which are not wood, hay, and stubble, but is gold, silver, and precious stones. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, it reads, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. What that tells us is that our inheritance is kingdom. As disciples, we are preparing ourselves for ruling in His kingdom. We're learning the rules now of citizenship. But it says it's important that we have grace now, that we build with grace now. The reason being our God is a consuming fire. We're going to come to that baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire is going to cleanse everything off of us that's not of God. Anything that we've done since we were saved is going to be burnt off. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and 27 says, That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That he would sanctify, set her apart, the church, okay? That the church would be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. We need to be cleansed and we need to be washed even now. The Holy Spirit is doing that now. And here's what I see is so important. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it came like tongues of fire. As tongues of fire. So the Spirit is as fire. Now the Spirit is spirit. But presently, He is as fire. So if we'll come to the Spirit and submit ourselves under that blood of Jesus Christ, we'll be cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. It is like as a fire. In other words, we're being cleansed now by submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus now. By allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse us now, it is like as a fire which is to come for all of us. So if we allow the Spirit to cleanse us now with that which is like fire, when we come to 
the God who is the consuming fire, we will have already been cleansed by fire. So even though there is a baptism of fire which is to come, we can allow ourselves to be cleansed, to be washed now by the washing of the water of the word. Let the spirit burn it off, if you will, now. Burn off that wood, hay, and stubble now so that when we come to the Lord, we go into the fire like the Hebrew children when they went into the fire because they were met with one like the Son of God. There was not a smell of smoke on them, and the only thing that burned off was that which was hemp. (laughs) That was wood, hay, and stubble, that which bound them. The things that bind us can be burned off by the Spirit now so that when we come to that fire, the Lord will meet us and greet us and will come out without any loss of anything eternal. I want you to look that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 where Jesus said, Go and therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now he said that in the Great Commission there according to Matthew. But if you look in all the records we've looked at, not once did they baptize and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not once. Now why is that? It was so important. One of the last things Jesus told his disciples was to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. But what we saw was that he was given a name which was greater. And when we confess Jesus as Jehovah and Messiah, then when we look at that name, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Lord Jehovah, the Son Jesus, Christ the Messiah, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, it proved that he was the Messiah. That literally means the anointed one. He was anointed with Holy Spirit. So, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So do we need to say I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. If we say, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying that. Now, it's kind of traditional with some to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all fullness of the Godhead body dwells in our Lord Jesus. So there is the baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that's tied up in that. However... Baptism in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is only symbolic of the two baptisms which the Lord will do through the Spirit. The one being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does that. But we can be baptized in Holy Spirit now. Jesus also will baptize in fire, which is the baptism of the Father. In the name of the Father, He is going to baptize everyone at the judgment in fire and burn off everything that's not of God. However, because we have the Spirit now, which is like as fire, we can prepare ourselves for that day that when we are baptized in fire, everything we have goes with us. Because we've sent the most important things ahead. And we've burned off the things that are not of God. 
The baptism of the Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Son is the baptism of remission and forgiveness of sins. The baptism in water, which is a symbol of His death, burial, and resurrection. And the baptism of the Father is the baptism of fire, which is to come. Yet we see this spoken of in a type, even in the earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. In other words, the world itself was buried in water and then raised out of the water. It was baptized in water. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's a time coming when the earth is going to be baptized in fire at the day of judgment. A cleansing fire. To get rid of all the wood, hay, and the stubble. Burn off all the curses. If we go back after having received the Lord and then sinned and go back to the blood of goats and of sheep expecting to be cleansed by that, we're never going to receive forgiveness. We're going to be in big trouble when it comes to the judgment because everything we will accomplish will have been done in the flesh and we'll suffer great loss. However, the blood of the covenant, that is the only place safe from the baptism of fire. The protection that comes in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. After we sin, if we'll bring that sin back and say, Lord, forgive me, bring it under the blood, it's that covenant that Jesus made with you. He will never break it. We often do wander from it. But if we'll come back, not try to get forgiveness through the blood of animals, but bring our sins back and wash them under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're back in a position where we now are laying up treasures in heaven which are not wood, hay, and stubble, but is gold, silver, and precious stones. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 it reads, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. What that tells us is that our inheritance is kingdom. As disciples, we are preparing ourselves for ruling in His kingdom. We're learning the rules now of citizenship. But it says it's important that we have grace now, that we build with grace now. The reason being our God is a consuming fire. We're going to come to that baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire is going to cleanse everything off of us that's not of God. Anything that we've done since we were saved is going to be burnt off. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and 27 says, That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, 
that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That he would sanctify, set her apart, the church, okay? That the church would be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. We need to be cleansed and we need to be washed even now. The Holy Spirit is doing that now. And here's what I see is so important. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it came like tongues of fire. As tongues of fire. So the Spirit is as fire. Now the Spirit is spirit. But presently, He is as fire. So if we'll come to the Spirit, and submit ourselves under that blood of Jesus Christ, we'll be cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. It is like as a fire. In other words, we're being cleansed now by submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus now. By allowing the Holy Spirit to cleanse us now, it is like as a fire which is to come for all of us. So if we allow the Spirit to cleanse us now, with that which is like fire, when we come to the God who is the consuming fire, we will have already been cleansed by fire. So even though there is a baptism of fire which is to come, we can allow ourselves to be cleansed, to be washed now by the washing of the water of the word. Let the spirit burn it off, if you will, now. Burn off that wood, hay, and stubble now so that when we come to the Lord we go into the fire like the Hebrew children when they went into the fire because they were met with one like the Son of God. There was not a smell of smoke on them. And the only thing that burned off was that which was hemp. <laughs> that was wood, hay, and stubble. That which bound them. The things that bind us can be burned off by the Spirit now so that when we come to that fire, the Lord will meet us and greet us and will come out without any loss of anything eternal. I want you to look that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 where Jesus said, Go and therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now he said that in the Great Commission there according to Matthew. But if you look in all the records we've looked at, not once did they baptize and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not once. Now, why is that? It was so important. One of the last things Jesus told his disciples was to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. But what we saw was that he was given a name which was greater. And when we confess Jesus as Jehovah and Messiah, then when we look at that name, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Lord Jehovah, the Son, Jesus, Christ, the Messiah, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove, it proved that he was the Messiah. That literally means the anointed one. He was anointed with Holy Spirit. So the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So when we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So do we need to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? If we say, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying that. Now, it's kind of traditional with some to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all fullness of the Godhead body dwells in our Lord Jesus. So there is the baptism of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that's tied up in that. However, baptism in water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is only symbolic of the two baptisms which the Lord will do through the Spirit. The one being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus does that. But we can be baptized in Holy Spirit now. Jesus also will baptize in fire, which is the baptism of the Father. In the name of the Father, He is going to baptize everyone at the judgment in fire and burn off everything that's not of God. However, because we have the Spirit now, which is like as fire, we can prepare ourselves for that day that when we are baptized in fire, everything we have goes with us. Because we've sent the most important things ahead. And we've burned off the things that are not of God. The baptism of the Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Son is the baptism of remission and forgiveness of sins. The baptism in water, which is a symbol of His death, burial, and resurrection. And the baptism of the Father is the baptism of fire, which is to come. Yet we see this spoken of in a type even in the earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. In other words, the world itself was buried in water, and then raised out of the water. It was baptized in water. Verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's a time coming when the earth is going to be baptized in fire at the day of judgment, a cleansing fire to get rid of all the wood, hay, and the stubble, burn off all the curses. Verse 8, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? 
Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom given to him, has written to you. Now, some believe that Peter is referring to the book of Hebrews. If that's the case, then the book of Hebrews would have been written by the Apostle Paul, which we don't know that for sure. However, some of these things are spoken of as we've read from the book of Hebrews. But what you see here, as he says, the day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. When the Lord comes for us, there will have been a judgment for us, a fire, not a lake of fire, but a furnace of fire, an oven. A cleansing. But for those of us that have prepared wisely and allowed the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to give us washing of the water by the word, so to speak, the living word, then we will be prepared. And we will be without spot or wrinkles. And as it says here in verse 14, without spot and blameless. It's also a figure of speech referring to the Jewish bride, that she would be without spot or wrinkle. As we read back in Ephesians Chapter 5, that the church is being prepared as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. We're being prepared to be like that. We're getting rid of all the old things of the flesh to be prepared to receive the bridegroom. And then at the end of all time, when the judgment of all mankind comes, which comes a thousand years after the judgment of the righteous, then there's going to come a time when all sickness, all death, and all evil is thrown into the lake of fire, and all the heavens and the earth are going to be rolled up and cleansed with fire, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is a thousand years after Jesus comes for His church, then He'll come with His church, and there'll be a last battle. And at that time then will be the final judgment, the white throne judgment of all those who have lived that did not receive the Lord Jesus and receive Holy Spirit and eternal life. At that time then, even the earth itself will receive the baptism of fire and cleansing. In Revelation 19, 12, it says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had the name written that no one knew except himself. When Jesus comes, he's going to come cleansing. In Revelation 20, 13, it says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If our name is written in the book of life, the worst that can happen to us is that all that we would do would be burnt up in that fire and we would be saved, but it would be as one going through the fire. Now that would be a tragedy. That's not God's will at all. But that's not the lake of fire. These are those that would not receive the Lord Jesus. And everything that they did, they were judged. And they were judged unworthy. And they were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached the first sermon, he says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now he's quoting from the book of Joel, but he was saying it happened on that day. Before that day, it wasn't possible necessarily to receive from Jehovah God just any place or anywhere. That's what Jacob was concerned about when he was leaving the promised land. He was afraid that Jehovah would not be able to take care of him where he was going. But he said, if you're big enough to take care of me, even in this other land which is not worshiping you, then when I come back, I'll make Jehovah my God. When Stephen preached his sermon, which caused him to be stoned, his whole entire message was, God could meet with people in other places besides the temple. But that was a concept that was beyond their mind because they were thinking only in the temple. Now, God did want a dwelling place built for him in Jerusalem. But nevertheless, there were times when God revealed himself to others outside of the promised land, to Joseph, to Abraham, to Moses. But still, it was so infrequent that it took a man like Stephen to preach it, and it cost him his life to get that message through to us. But now, since the day of Pentecost, he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Now, it doesn't matter if we're in Kathmandu, Timbuktu, wherever we may be, if we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, we can receive salvation at that moment. We don't have to fast for 21 days. The angel Michael doesn't have to fight in order to bring us that salvation. As soon as we would confess Jesus as Lord, we can receive that spirit because the whole earth is being baptized in the Holy Spirit at this time since the day of Pentecost. So even the world has been baptized, first with water in the days of Noah, then with the Holy Spirit since Pentecost, and the cleansing fire is to come. We likewise should be fully immersed in all that the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 